Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the podcast. We greatly appreciate your support. But before we get started, I wanted to tell you about a success story. I wanted to tell you about my friend Carl up in New Boston, Michigan. He listens to our pods every week and he heard me talking about how I might be able to help him out. So he hit me up over at SaveWithConrad.com. He just closed last month and he left us a five-star review and he had this to say. Not only did we save over $100,000 on our mortgage by removing several years off of it, he also saved us a few months of payments. In follow-up, Conrad and Steve were super helpful when I had additional questions. You can't go wrong here with Save with Conrad. Definitely worth the call to understand what your savings could be. Take Carl's word for it. He saved more than a hundred grand. What have you got to lose? Be like Carl. Go to SaveWithConrad.com right now and find out how much money you can save for free. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Why not you? Why not now? Go to SaveWithConrad.com and find out how much money you can save for free. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get a quick quote right now and thank me later and you'll be glad you did. SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Dark Side of the Podcast. And of course, we couldn't do it without the creators of this fantastic series, Dark Side of the Ring. It airs on Vice every Thursday night, and you don't want to miss it. And when you're watching it, we hope you're thinking about Evan and Jason. Guys, how are you? Good. Good. Man. What's going on? Man, I'm excited to be here. Of course, last night you uh you did a little shock and awe on Vice. We showed Deathmatch Wrestling probably for the first time on a mainstream station like this. And it was probably, uh, exposure to a whole new side of professional wrestling to a lot of fans. And it's really the, the primary topic today. I mean, obviously you can't tell the story of Nick Gage, uh, and MDK all F and day without talking about <laughs> Deathmatch wrestling. I'm, I'm right. curious from your standpoint, Jason, when was this a topic that was sort of on your radar? Were you familiar with Nick Gage or his story? Were you a fan of Deathmatch wrestling? Just sort of catch me up about how this came to be an episode. Yeah, I guess to start off, like, I, I do have to say, like, I wasn't a fan of deathmatch wrestling per se. It's just, um, you know, even though I, 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 I also make horror films that are super gory and very <laughs> violent, but in real life, as Evan would know, I am super squeamish when it comes to blood or any sort of trauma on the human body. Oh, um, so yeah. it's always been something I've had to like, when I, when I see it, I'm like watching it like through my fingers. Cause it's like, <laughs> it's, it can be too much for me. But the first time I think like new gauge or Nick gauge, uh, came across my radar is when Evan and I were at WrestleMania, what was it? 34, uh, I can't 2018 remember. in new Orleans. Yeah. And, um, we were filming some of the show there as well. And I think it was like the night before WrestleMania or two nights before Joey Janela puts on this event called spring break, I believe. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we were, we went to it and we were, you know, in the audience. And then all of a sudden this guy comes out, Nick Gage and the pop he gets from the crowd is, was insane. Like, and I had never really quite heard of him before that. So you know, I was like, at, like looking at Evan, like, who is this guy? Like everyone here, like <laughs> loves him. Like he's 
over as you can be, you know? And the, yeah. the last time I had seen something like that was when we were in Montreal, like a few years before doing Dark Side of the Ring. And we saw, was it Lincoln Steen at the, uh, what were those, uh, I forget what that, that. Oh, no, we saw, we, we, we saw Kevin Steen at oh, the. Oh, Kevin Steen, sorry, yeah. At the uh, Battle War, and Battle that was War. his last indie match before going to NXT. Yeah. And, and and people were just losing their fucking mind. Yeah, it was a similar experience where we didn't really know who that guy was, and then um, the crowd was just like, the community was just all about him and supporting you know just like engaged it was the same thing for me it was like whoa people here love this guy like so much you know what's his story so you know and then it was pitched as you know an episode for dark side of the ring and then that's when we started doing research i started to learn more about like the history of him and, and his life yeah and i you know and uh i actually remember being at that at that spring break and it was um well, I mean, it was yeah, Nick Gage coming out. That was a that was like whoa, you know that was who is this guy? Because I mean, it was somebody that everybody else knew except for me. And then that was also the year that PCO and Walter had that match. Just shout out to that match because that match was fucking insane. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> that was like PCO's kind of coming out party again, you know. And that was just brutality. And that that was amazing. So that really opened my eyes to kind of the this, this new vibrant indie scene that I just was not really privy to at all i mean you know i was there for wrestlemania and that show was definitely 10 times more entertaining than the wrestlemania show um but anyway um this yeah it was right around the time we were talking about for season three you know which which episodes we were going to cover and i think conrad you even threw nick gage's name you know out there as a, as a story we should look into and we had sort of seen other people talk about it and then it's like i do remember the david arquette thing definitely got to talk about that because that was that that definitely made the rounds in the mainstream of like oh my god this guy almost killed David Arquette you know and I remember seeing that and be like whoa what is this this is insane this is one of the more insane match moments of all time and then um and then it was just really getting into like once we looked into the story you know of Nick Gage and it's not just like you know I mean if you're doing a show Dark Side of the Ring and you're looking at sort of you know, some of the more, you know, disturbing and troubling stories and, 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 you know, in this world, I mean, deathmatch wrestling definitely fits into that mold because it is such a, uh, I mean, for me, again, I wasn't a fan of it. I mean, I'm a fan of hardcore wrestling. I like, you know, I grew up with ECW and things like that, but deathmatch takes it to a whole new level of, you know, pulling shit out of people's heads and, you know, syringes and crazy shit. I, you know, it, it's insane, but I think from a psychological point of view, it's very <laughs> thematically fitting for us to look at because it's not only just about like what would provoke a performer to want to be a part of this, but what also is it about the audience that wants to see this too? You know, because for me, I'm, I'm with Jason. I, I, when I first saw the first cuts of this episode, you know, before, you know, our standards and practices folks got a hold of it. I mean, I, I just watched a snuff film. I was yeah. totally, completely like, I, 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 like I, all color had drained from my body, you know, watching this because yeah. I just can't handle it. I was screaming at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the first time working on the show. Maybe, no, maybe there was another time like when I saw like Jim Cornette like break his legs and that. Uh, oh, yeah. It's like another moment where I screamed when I first saw that yeah. footage but yeah all through <laughs> the first cut of the nick gage episode i was just screaming and <laughs> yeah because that yeah i know we're bouncing around but that whole tournament of death scene in the cool. episode from last night that in its 
first form in the episode, like, you know, the very first cut we had of it, is it's 10 times more grisly than what we're showing yeah. on screen there. And um, yeah, so that to me was just like, whoa. And uh, but but aside from the deathmatch side of everything, you know, Nick Gage's story to me fits the bill because, you know, here is uh, a portrait of a guy, you know, who's been through a lot, obviously going through, you know, robbing a bank, you know, it's jail time, but um, also struggles with addiction. And I think addiction, you know, became a, a big theme for this episode because that, you know, we always try and find that universal theme or that that one very human element. And, and with Nick's story, it's very strong. And so we didn't just want it to be about deathmatch wrestling. We wanted it to be all about that. And um, and yeah, and so then it just seemed like a like a no brainer for us. Lot to unpack there, uh, but yeah. I do have to follow up because, and boy, I hate this, but how was this gross and all the shit you saw Mick Foley not? Well, I, I, I'm glad you brought up Mick because I do think that Mick Foley is sort of the gateway drug into this. Um, let and me, let me tell one out, thing, the guy that was inspired by or the thing that inspired most of this, in my opinion, is the IWA King of the Deathmatch stuff from 95. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I know you guys were like me and like, oh, what are we watching? And then the volume got turned up real big in 98 when he flies off the cage. And I'm not blaming, exactly. I'm not blaming any of this on Foley, but I'm just saying we as wrestling fans have played those clips over and over and over. But when we see other guys do it now, we're like, wait a minute, this is bad. And I'm just curious from you guys standpoint, cause I was a fan of deathmatch wrestling until I saw a bad accident in person. And then that changed my whole opinion. It's one thing when it's on my small screen or big screen, you know what I mean? It's another thing when you're there and you're like, oh, this guy's really hurt and I'm in the same room with him. So that changed it for me. But from you guys standpoint, how did you reconcile when Foley does it? It's cool. But when these guys do it, oh my God. Well, let on that note, just because I, I think it's related to a point I wanted to make uh, about this episode, about Foley and that stuff, because I think that was the big exposure point sure. for America. You know, um, that's that's the major cultural touch point in wrestling. And, you know, obviously you hear a lot about deathmatch wrestling isn't wrestling and blah, 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 blah. You know, um, and that's a whole nother just, you know, thing pack. But for me, it's like where deathmatch wrestling is an evolution of all of that it's kind of now where where all that stuff would go you know i always you know i mean when we're going to be talking about this later on you know uh this season with fmw and things like that because i mean you could trace back hardcore wrestling and deathmatch you know i'm sure way back into the you know beginning of time with wrestling but also there's that you know tupelo yep. concession stand brawl yep. and you know 1981 which would give way to onita and to fmw and then you have ecw and then Mick Foley. And all of that's just kind of this evolution, you know, I think. But something I think there was a there was a planetary alignment moment, I think, culturally in the late 90s, specifically with Mick Foley, not to blame him, <laughs> you know. Uh, but like, you know, I think, yes, the IWA thing, but I think the King of the Ring, Hell in the Cell, uh, Mick Foley, Undertaker, that whole thing, that left such an impression on me. I mean, I know it did for you too, Jason. But Millions of people. Yeah. Millions of people. That is, you know, that is that is the almost unforgettable. You'd never seen anything like it before. 
But that was in 1998, and I feel like at this at that that time in this country, you have to think about what was popular, you know. Um, and it was like Jackass, you know, was like a thing. And like when when a lot of people saw that, there was this innate feeling, and we we talk about it in the episode of I want to do that, and I need to emulate that, and need to be a part of it, and, and I'm gonna get my. And I think there was a subset of fans, subsect of fans who got their busted out their trampolines, you know, went to the hardware store, you know, bought the cookie sheets to hit each other over the head with and all this shit and then did all of that and and reenacted it. And 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 I think that is that sort of like late 90s mentality of like I'm going to do that, I want to be a part of it. I think fused its way into now what we have with deathmatch wrestling. And now it is that sort of millennial generation of people doing that because they grew up on it with Mick Foley. That's where they were exposed to it. And then it was this part of like, I need to enact it and be a part of it. And like, yes, that's what I need to show, like how tough I am and I can endure it. And I think that was a part of the jackass thing too in the late 90s. It's like, these guys are doing all this crazy shit. Now I got to endure all this goofy torment you know and i think that is part of like that's like a phenomenon i think a cultural phenomenon you know um i don't know if you've ever seen the backyard have you ever seen that documentary i haven't oh it's like a low budget snuff film basically (laughs) about these kids in america i think it's early 2000s and it's a portrait of different backyard wrestling oh wait i did see this yeah i did see that oh and it opens with a scene with these two guys who are brothers who are having a hardcore death match in their backyard in front of no one. There's not a single audience member. And mom is filming it. Mom is the camera person. Yeah. And like that is, I mean, that is what, that's a psychological experiment you can unpack for days. Yeah. Another one of my, my, one of my all time favorite moments is in in that documentary is when, um, because the kid, (laughs) he's got this like, he's got a collection of wrestling action figures on the wall. And he's just like, I just want to buy my own guy. (laughs) Five ninety nine. <laughs> he's just daydreaming. Yeah, that, buy my own his, guy. His figure will be on the wall someday. Yeah, we all just want to buy our own guy. I know. Yeah, that's a great um, one. So, sorry, going back to what we were saying, Mick Foley, how we reconcile it. Um, well, I mean, for me, it's just like I, I, I can't really reconcile it still because I can't watch it. You know. <laughs> like, yeah. So for me, for me, it does cross a line for me. Personally, I mean, I, I've I, I've grown to be endeared by Nick Gage as a, as a performer, and I mean his entrances, coming out to Metallica, you know, for whom the bell tolls, coming out, getting people crazy, doing the promos. His promos are amazing, his cameos are amazing, all that stuff. I love it, you know. But the matches themselves sometimes are, ooh, it's hard for me to watch. So I can't reconcile it, but I do think that you know Mick Foley plays a role into that. And another funny thing on that is Nick Gage had told us about the time he met Mick Foley. There was a time where he some I don't know fan convention or whatever, there's Mick Foley and of course, you know, Nick goes up to Mick and he's like he's like I just got to tell you that you're the best of all time and you know, you're you know, I wouldn't be doing any of this shit if it weren't for you and you know whatever. And then he's like, you know, shaking his hand and and Mick's response of course is just like ah, I'm sorry. You know, like, you know, because he feels so (laughs) responsible, I think, in a lot of ways for what this has evolved into, you know, and how this has just taken on a new life, you know, um, in a lot of ways. But, you know, he is the he is the he's the he is a huge player into why we know about this stuff today, I feel like. Well, also, too, you know, Mick has paid the price, you know, Mick, uh, you know, there's been documentaries out there and and, and things like that where. You know, he struggles at times to put on socks 
And that's not something you yeah. think about when you talk about a guy who, you know, d- despite what people may say about his physique was a hell of an athlete. You can't do oh, all yeah. of that stuff yeah. and not yeah. be athletic And the punishment he took though, has really taken a toll on him. So I'm mm-hmm. sure when he meets a guy, he's like, I wonder if he knows what he's signing up for, because I'm sure some of those days where it's harder to get out of bed, he thinks, Oh, probably shouldn't have taken that flak back against Mount mill mascaris back in the day or whatever, yeah. you know? So yeah. I, I, yeah, I understand how Foley maybe struggles with that. And I think, you know, the more I learn about wrestling through my little journey through all these podcasts, the more I appreciate that Foley is probably a guy who gets overlooked on the Mount Rushmore of wrestling mm-hmm. because he literally yeah. did everything very well whether it was promos or it was regular wrestling matches or hardcore matches or the different personas or general manager or commissioner or whatever it is. Like it's just, as far as a storyteller, he, he was, he's top five for sure. And so, oh my God, when you see a guy like, and I love Nick Gage, let me say that I I had the pleasure of meeting Nick several years ago and had no idea listens to my pods, but I'd been watching him since the CZW days and knew the whole story. And I right. thought, wait a minute, this guy listens to my pods. And so we got to talk about that and we had him at Starcast, and he was great and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So people have a different perception of who he really is based on his character. And that means he's doing a good job at it, by the way. But there is a lot of criticism out there about, oh, what Nick Gage does, you know, that's not real yeah. wrestling, whatever the hell that means. But when he right. comes through <laughs> the curtain and you see the reaction from the fans, that is wrestling. There is a connection between him and his fans that is undeniable. And so, you know, you could argue about his headlock takeover. Okay. Who cares? But when it comes to wrestling as a whole, it's about creating that connection, selling tickets and Nick gauge gets that in spades. Does he not? I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, he has that connection and, um, yeah. And it's, 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 um, it's hard to find kind of another indie kind of wrestler that really gets that kind of a response or i mean yes yesterday on social media too i think was kind of exemplary of that too where just everyone's sharing these nick gage stories this yeah. nick gage encounters and and so many of them are so positive and that was cool too um but you know i think that for most viewers who were turned off by this episode i mean obviously before watching it <laughs> which is you know which you know it, it does mirror my sort of experience before making it a little bit you know to be honest with sort of like like i i understand the kind of uh like hesitancy with deathmatch wrestling or the, or being turned off by it like I, I i do get that yeah but i think um i think uh you know after we made this episode and just sort of seeing you know what Nick Gage was all about. I think there's a surface level interpretation of all the deathmatch stuff w- with wrestling fans. Like it, it is just that very simple. Why would you do that? And did it? but I do think that there's a psychological. I keep going back to that. A, it, it is a very interesting, and that's what we tried to explore in the episode. Is you know, uh, yeah, of uh, of the want to do this stuff and what brings the audience together to wanna. I don't really fully grasp that yet, <laughs> but what wants to bring the audience together, like especially those tournament to death folks, yeah. and 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 to watch and experience this. Um, and I think that there is an addictive quality to that on both ends. I think that um, John Moxley talks about it in the episode. He talks about the, being addicted to that feeling of having half your blood gone and you know drinking beers and smoking cigarettes after and that exhilaration the sort of afterglow of that like adrenaline rush you know and i think that the wrestlers do get addicted to that adrenaline rush and of course you know we explore other stories in the season where wrestlers you know 
they they have to you know after their in ring days are over they have to kind of you know uh, fill that void with something else you know um, and that's really hard and um, but for me the thing about this episode that was really what kept me going through it through the deathmatch stuff and having to cover my eyes and being like mortified of what I'm seeing is the human that human story of Nick and yep. his struggles yep. with with addiction um, because. And that's something for me, like I haven't had my own personal experience with addiction, but a lot of times it gets overlooked, you know, as something that like, oh, here's someone who's gone through a difficult time and, you know, they, they have they have their vices and their addictions and but, you know, they they get, you know, oh, he's he's through rehab and he's fine now and everything's great. And it's just not that simple, you know, and this is something that is going to be a daily battle for somebody who who goes through that. It's not something that's just, oh, it's over now. And I think Brett talks about that, and you can sort of see that, you know, in Nick's story, that this is something he's going to have to deal with every day, you know? And I think that that, too, is a very relatable, universal thing that a lot of people, especially in this country and everywhere, are going through and can relate to. Um, and I think that even on another, not to get super heady, but on another psychological layer, part of that addiction process is... Um, the self-destructive nature, you know, towards yourself, you know, I think that is a part of that. And I think when you, when you marry that with what his profession is, I mean, whoa, you know, that is, that's heavy, you know, of someone who battles that addiction, but now I got to, you know, tear myself open every night, you know, you know, that's, that's wild. And to me, that's what, then this became a very fascinating portrait of a person. Jason, I want to ask you about the adrenaline thing. Cause I think Evan's right on that. A lot of these guys do it for the adrenaline. And he sort of reminded us of what Moxley said of that feeling after a match, but it, in a weird way, I think some of that is just about, Hey, I want to push the limits and let's see how close to the edge we can get and just sort of flirt with danger. But how is that different from someone who, and I'm asking you, Jason, somebody who wants to bungee jump <laughs> or jump out of an airplane. I mean, that's what we're talking right, about, I, right? We're getting to the edge of, Hey, we're flirting with danger. This could go bad. And that's why it's exhilarating. And that's why it's exciting. But we watch people bungee jump every day and we don't cross our arms and say, how <laughs> <Do> dare <we? laughs> they, but you yeah. know what I mean? Like the, <laughs> you get the <laughs> idea, but, but even on, on a smaller level for, you know, professional football. And by the way, you'll not find a bigger football oh. fan than me, but mm -hmm. you, you know, we're, we're crushing our heads into each other yeah. over and Masochism. over and over and over and over. Yeah. And we're like, oh man, I can't wait to see the next play. And it doesn't. But with this, we're like, now, why would they do that? And then it becomes almost a conversation of, well, how much did they get paid? As if that's any of your fucking business anyway. Like, right. yeah. that's just, I, I don't know. Evan, do you think, I mean, Jason, do you think that this adrenaline thing? And I mean, to me, that's really what this is. These guys want to sort of push the limits and feel that danger and, and, and come out. Okay. Most of the time. And you know, unless you have to be med flighted from a field, but you know, yeah, I think there's like definitely an aspect where it's like, you're just, you're pushed, you know, these guys are like pushing themselves, um, farther, you know, like to the point where it's, I don't know, like, it's just so it's like there, it's like an almost, I, I like, I could see it and relate to it as in like a competition with yourself or like in a competition with your peers as to like mm. who, you know, who is toughest or you thought the last thing I did was tough. Well, you, you know, I can go even tougher. Um, like, I don't know, I guess for me too, like, I, I feel like I grew up <laughs> around some people like Nick Gage, you know, they're, 
Like, oh, yeah. when, when he gets in the ring and like he he talked about how he just like he's like I just served like four and a half years in prison, and you know what? I was all right with it. It's just like this like toughness, you know, that is like trying to go so far, like so far with it. Like I'm, I had a friend too, who was some kind of similar, who was really self-destructive and he'd walk around like saying, you know, I don't care if I go to jail, like all my friends are there anyways, you know, he would just like say stuff like that. And like, it was like, he was always just trying to push himself to be like the toughest person. But then like really like deep inside, there's, there's so much more going on. And then for me with Nick Gage, like I just connected with him being like, when you see him talk about his mom and you like, see, he's like, he's, you know, he's kind of like a mama's boy too. You know, he's got like all this like love for his mom and he's a heart, big heart. Yeah. A big heart, you know, and that's, you know, I connect, I connected with that like so much. Cause he, that's like the show to like the, the extreme, you know, there's this extreme of what he does to his body in the ring. And then it's like, you know, you see this heart side of him uh, where, you know, he's, He's, he loves his mom. He's also kind of like lost. He doesn't have his dad and his mom and his brother, his whole family are like gone, mm. you know? And so it's like, he's all, it's almost like you get this feeling that he's seeing his fans as like a family. Yeah. Like you see these things like, like, you know, we could have made a super montage of like all the fan, awesome fan encounters that you see in that footage, like him going to up to like, you know, young kids and getting them like pumped up and stuff. Like, it's just, I don't know. There's something just so endearing about that. And, you know, he is like giving his life for his art and for his fans. Um, and it was also, yeah, super cool last night to see like so many fans saying that, like, I just saw myself on Dark Side of the Ring. Like they were like yeah. they were in the audience, in the footage, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. and I was even surprised by some people that I knew who never told me that, that like I never knew that they were at some of these matches and I saw their tweets saying like yeah, I was, was there cool. for this and I was like I saw that too. that's cool yeah saving money at savewithconrad.com is fast and easy just ask Jordan in Murfreesboro he says Jimmy made the entire process easy no appraisal was needed and we got a great rate on our refinance what about Glenn up in Sperry Oklahoma he says I wound up knocking four years off my loan and even saved a few dollars on my monthly payment Easy to work with. Jimmy is the man. How much are you overpaying right now? Keep more of your own money at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. So wait, lower your monthly payments and pay your house off faster. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? At savewithconrad.com. Why adfreeshows.com? It's simple. It's early and ad-free. Why wait for your favorite shows to drop when you can listen as soon as they stop recording? There's no need to wait. You can access it all before anyone else can. Plus, no ads. No one telling you what to bundle or how to keep that man part standing tall. None of that. It's just straight content from all your favorite hosts, including Jeff Jarrett, Eric Bischoff, Kurt Angle, and the rest of the team. That's not all you also get immediate access to watching their reactions live on video as well so don't put it off any longer do it now you won't be disappointed start enjoying all the podcasts you love early and ad free at adfreeshows.com you know it's it's fun that you mentioned um because i do feel like the deathmatch fans you know just passionate wrestling fans period you know we got we have like a little uh subscriber community that you guys have both met the adfreeshows.com and and those mm. folks you know they know like and, and trust each other and they talk every day and it's not just about our content it's about real life stuff and i think 
that's one of the great things about wrestling is I have, you know, my football friends and my work friends, but then I have my wrestling friends and I find myself talking to my wrestling friends all the time through, you know, we talk about it on the shows all the time, uh, my group chat and those guys look for every chance they can to go to wrestling, not just because they really want to see it in person, but they like that familial aspect and they like that, you know, that guy's always sitting in, you know, row one seat three or whatever. And so that concept I think is not lost on either game changer wrestling or Nick gauge. They are like a traveling family. So you'll see the same people at a show in Florida that you see in New Jersey that you see in Dallas. And it's like, wait a minute. It's not just the wrestlers traveling here. It's these same fans. And I think that sort of community for lack of a better word is, is important. And I think that like a lot of those matches, like a lot of those, you know, GCW matches or like the crazy ass, you know, Joey Janela, Zandig off the roof gimmick thing or any of those things. Like if you were there for that or there for any of those things, I feel like it is that kind of collective. We've all like experienced. We're all having this like extreme reaction, shared experience thing that I, I don't, that doesn't probably happen in most wrestling today. If you're just in the audience, you know, you're not going to collect everyone feels like their hive mind, like, ah, my fucking God, you know, over that sort of thing. But I think another thing about deathmatch wrestling, too, uh, I can't I think it was Moxley who said this in the interview. And then that's kind of when I was like, oh, okay, I can get this now is like he related it to metal, you know, and like I'm a I'm a huge metal fan. You know, I love, you know, thrash metal, doom metal, that kind of stuff, the safe metal, I guess we'll say. And there's a lot of that underground of the extreme, you know, like, you know, like napalm death for a lack of a better term. Here's like the the, the subgenre that to most people, if they heard that, they'd be like, this isn't music. This isn't nothing. This isn't metal, you know, or whatever. It's just like craziness, pure craziness. But, you know, I think that deathmatch wrestling is a counterculture to wrestling, you know, or, or to mainstream wrestling, of course. It is, you know, and, and, I, and in a world we live in today to 2021, there isn't a lot of counterculture, not as much as there was when we were kids growing up, you know, and, and the different undergrounds and things happening. So I think that is one other thing to look at with it is like, and then now we're seeing like a guy like Moxley, who's one of the top guys. I mean, that's where he came from, you know, and there are people that, you know, come out of that. And in some ways that does influence the mainstream. So I kind of look at this just being a very underground niche subgenre of wrestling and it is part of the story and as we talked about earlier the evolution of uh, of wrestling but at the same time it is you know it gets into other areas of like you know psychological study <laughs> you know for sure let's talk a little bit about moxley you, you, you dropped his name a moment ago he's one of the biggest stars in wrestling of course everybody remembers he uh, became a superstar in the mm-hmm. wwe but these days he's been sort of leading the pack for AEW. but you know talk about humble beginnings he uh uh made his mark in czw and, and working some yeah. of these hardcore matches in the northeast and he had his own story to tell uh how was it you know, hooking up with moxley and just your filming experience with him behind the scenes you know, I, I uh, obviously, you know, was first introduced to him in WWE, you know, when he was Dean Ambrose and and, uh, and all that stuff. And so I didn't really know um, up until maybe he made his AEW debut that he really had this past in these death matches. And I was like, what? That's crazy. I just didn't know that. 
Um, and so, you know, I, I thought that he was a, a perfect fit for this episode because yeah. he bridges that gap, you know, because I think a lot of fans, too, um, a lot of wrestling fans, I think, would look at Nick Gage and say, like, why does he do, you know, what's the end goal? It's like when you have like an indie filmmaker, you know, and it's like a lot of a lot of non filmmakers, you know, think that every filmmaker's dream is to be Steven Spielberg, you know, <laughs> but that's not true. Some people want to just make their their indie, low budget, crazy ass movies, you know, and, and that happens all the time. And I think it's interesting for someone like Moxley, who comes from those CZW in front of 20 people, you know, pizza cut your face off matches. And then he actually somehow translated or transitioned into the top, you know, yeah. the actual top. Um, and so I think that's an interesting parallel um, to examine in the episode that, you know, he has that journey and Nick has his journey and it's a different one. But there, you can always tell with Moxley, which I love, is that his just... He he loves this shit. Yes, you know? <laughs> he loves this CZW blood and guts and crazy. He's in a, one of these adrenaline junkies, as we were talking about, you know. And I think you know. Uh, uh, also, just a few weeks ago, you know, it was announced that him and, and Gage are going to have work a program of some kind. Um, and uh, and wow, like that goes to show you, he's not finished with this side of his story. So that's also interesting, going from you know. You're you're going to the top, and now we're we're coming back down to the underground, you know. So, but he was he was awesome, you know. He was so cool to work with, so appreciative. Wanted to do this for Nick, um, you know, and and wanted to to be a part of it. And I mean, he's got one of the lines of the whole season, which oh, yeah. is, you know, uh, <laughs> the only time he fucking doesn't wear his mask is when he robs a fucking bank. Yeah, <laughs> it's, tr it's tremendous. What a great line, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and I wanted to mention too. You said something a minute ago, Evan, about underground. Jason, how big of, of that do you think that is to the appeal of this sort of genre of wrestling that this is, you know, this is underground. It's almost like when you're talking about bands, oh, I, I like their indie stuff, or I liked them before they went mainstream. You know, it's like when they become Nickelback and they're the biggest band in the world, oh, they're lame <laughs> and we hate them. But when they're this underground, oh, I saw them in a club in front of 80 people, then it's cool. Is that part that of underground the underground Nickelback shit? You know what I mean, though, the, the <laughs> yeah. sort of before they were famous type deal. I think that's a big part of deathmatch wrestling that this isn't Monday night raw. This is for us, right? Yeah. yeah, no. Well, like you were saying too, it's like, there is like a community yeah. there that rallies behind it like so much. And that's, you know, you'll get that with counterculture stuff and subgenres. Like you'll find that community that's there supporting it and, you know, that's you know that's what's happening with like deathmatch is like you've got this like really hungry community that supports it um yeah and yeah i think to, and and also like what evan was saying too it's like to be able to say you were there yeah you know for this crazy thing that like happened that you all collectively experienced at the same time those moments are a big deal and again like i saw it last night on twitter when people were reacting to it they were like posting their video clips of their like their their footage of being there at yeah. the at, you know I kind of wish we got they came to us with that footage before we made the <laughs> episode but it was cool to see like other angles of these moments that were like in our show yeah man you you just came up with a really good idea I think you know if this if this train keeps going you guys have to do something like that where it is just a series of fan cams. So, yeah. Oh, I love it. That would be great. Because well, I mean, this is the this is the, the I mean, one thing we haven't touched on either is this is the most contemporary story yes. we've ever done for yes. the show. <clears throat> and it's like, you know, I I uh 
just on social media, it's like I can go in and like find on Twitter, you know, reactions and moments to things that have happened in this episode. That's how recent with the David Arquette thing in particular. But like, you know, this is one of the first uh, stories we ever covered where there would be a you know fan angles and cams yeah. because no, normally it's thing you know and that was a, that was so new for us too and I think you know after making so many episodes of this show doing something uh, as contemporary as this was just fresh for us and it was a challenge and most of the stories that we cover in the show kind of have a beginning middle and an end and this story doesn't really have an end you know yet it's it's still being told you know um for you know and i think that's interesting for us like we're kind of capturing nick gage in this moment you know like here's all, here's everything that's happened up to that point but then also like you know there is it is kind of open at the end and it's up to nick now what's going to happen with nick gage after this episode not saying just you know because of our episode but what's going to happen you know w- w- with his trajectory and his story and i think that w- was also fresh and interesting for us uh to look at too um and yeah, you, yeah. You, you brought up, um, David Arquette and he's obviously a big part of the story because it is mainstream and it's a name that people would recognize. Uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting David a few times and we had him at a star cast and afterwards he sent me like a, a tin of cookies. He is one of the nicest guys I've ever met in the professional wrestling space. What was your experience like with him, Jason? It was, it, it was cool. Like he, um, you know, I think, uh, I can't remember how it went down, but you know, David originally was the one to announce our season three <laughs> before we got the chance to do it. Um, I can't He's remember how, yeah, how did that I, I, I could tell you. So, uh, right at the beginning of season three production, very beginning where we're, this is the, Nick, this is the first episode we actually started with shooting. Um, and uh, I reached out to David Arquette about being in the episode, and his first reaction was, "Oh, I don't know. I have to think about it. I'm not sure, you know, because there's a- he's, I think, still traumatized by that match. Um, but anyway, I think that that was his kind of reaction to it. And then, um, and then he doesn't. His documentary was coming out. You cannot kill David Arquette was coming right out, and so he's on the press junket tour. And then, yeah, you know, I think he was on Sam Roberts' yes. show or something. And then he was just like. Oh yeah, guess what? Dark Side of the Rings doing a Nick Cage episode. <laughs> like, we hadn't told anybody. I was like, aren't you in the movie business? Don't you know how this works? Yeah. You know, like uh and <clears throat> but yeah, he he spoiled season three and the Nick Cage episode. But that's that's fine, because then yeah. that was kind of the perfect, like, okay, well you better be in the episode now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you yeah, know, and so it worked out. We, yeah, so we got him and I could tell when he came, like when he when he showed up. I got this feeling from him that he was um, he was a little bit guarded. Like I don't know if he knew what to expect from the dark side of the ring guys, like interviewing him. But right. I think he might have thought I was going to try to like expose him or something. I could just I don't know. I just got the sense that it was a wall. But eventually, as we started talking, he started opening up more, and um, and you know his uh, like I, it was just it was it was great to hear him explain you know that death match but even between takes because i'm a filmmaker i'm i was you know i'm just super curious about some of the filmmakers he worked with so i had to i had to ask him about uh what it was what it was like working with wes craven you know who did scream and uh wes craven being you know one of my favorite uh filmmakers and you know he told me this cool thing about like how this is 
kind of side talk, but um, but he told me about how uh, Wes Craven got all his inspiration <laughs> for shot ideas from watching anime. <laughs> and wow, the idea like the thinking of Wes Craven like in the eighties and nineties, like trying to track down a- anime at that time uh, is I don't know, it's crazy, kind of funny to think yeah. about. But um, but yeah, he was and then yeah, he was he was cool, but you know, at the end, he was just like he said to me, he was just like. Please don't make me look like a dick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was like, don't worry, man. Like, cause he was so, he was so generous, genuine. And during the interview, I could, you know, he just seemed like a really great, genuine guy. So I don't know. And <clears throat> two things on that too, what you're saying is like, you know, going back to the proving yourself and the tough thing. I mean, here's a guy who was traumatized by the WCW title win, you know? Um, and I mean, you, you know, and wrestling fans. I mean, you know, we can all we we we've all seen how vitriolic wrestling fans can get, yeah. uh, especially in the last couple of days. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> but I think you know, for him, that was a real uh, difficult thing. You know, when that all went down, and I think a lot of people even cite that as like the primary reason for WCW's, you know, decline or one of the factors. You know, and I think for him to go and prove himself. And the self-destructiveness to prove yourself that I can do this and then to be like, all right, let's fucking do a Nick Gage match. I mean, there, there's, there's something to unpack there, you know, for sure, too. And it's like, man, you don't have to do this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but he did. And I, and I, and I, I love how Nick gives him props in the beginning uh, of that match, too, and saying that was all him, man, flying off the top rope, doing the snooker thing and, you know, taking the punch and all that stuff. I mean, that's that's wild, you know, for him to be put himself in that position. Um the the one thing I got to mention about Arquette, which uh, I, I I am very remiss is not in the episode because I when I when we were doing these interviews I was like this is fucking great, but <clears throat> a little epilogue to the Nick Gage uh, David Arquette saga is so when the move when Arquette's movie is coming out uh, Nick Cage gets you know he gets wind of it. And he's like, well, he's using my footage, you know, and, uh, you know, he's got to pay me for my footage or something like that. So he calls David and he's like, uh, Nick's like, <clears throat> um, so I, I understand, you know, I'm in your film and, you know, it's all about the money, man. So, you know, you got to pay up or whatever, you know, and, uh, and, and, and David Arquette's like, well, you know, we're doing a documentary, you know, we're not really paying. This is like the story, you know, and all this stuff. And he's explaining that. Um, and he's like, you know, but we're going to make it right. You know, like, just send me your address and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make it right. And so what he does as compensation to Nick Gage for this documentary is Nick is just like, yeah, one day out of the blue, a giant king size mattress just showed up at my house, you know? And so... <laughs> It was like, what? He's like, yeah, David Arquette sent me a king size mattress. And then, of course, we like interview David Arquette about it. And he's just like, I thought it was really funny. Here's this king of the death match shit. So I'm going to send him a nice, fluffy, big ass mattress. You know, <laughs> that and he thought it would be good for his back. He was like, you yeah, know, you could that's true. From the sleep. That's on. true. That's true. And then, but, you know, and then Nick is like, well, in the interview, he was like, well, you know, I already have a mattress I really like. So, you know, to get it, I don't really need another mattress. But, you know, if all you guys want to buy a king size mat, I got a king size mattress if you want to buy it. And was like asking us if we want to buy it. <laughs> so that mattress now is probably going to be worth a lot. So, yeah, that's something you should get for the Conradus in there. I think uh, I think I'm all <laughs> set on Nick Gage mattresses. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ch- chat me up about Brett from all GCW. Your belts on uh, <clears throat> Brett Lauderdale is the owner, proprietor, promoter, whatever you want to call it, 
of game changer oh. wrestling and probably the real life best friend of Nick Gage and such a big part of the story, even going back to the bank robbery. Yes. Uh, but before he was the promoter of GCW, which is available on fight and everywhere else you watch events. I think there's a, a Nick Gage GCW event this weekend. So check that out. That's right. Yeah, um, I heard, but he was, he was a referee with CZW. So he's there for a lot of these sort of early Nick Gage moments. What was your experience like meeting with Brett and, and working with Brett on this piece? Another thing I didn't mention is, you know, when we're researching this story and, you know, looking into Brett and then, you know, as, as a, you know, as, as somebody who was there for everything, like you said, you know, all the way from the beginning to being this, you know, to, to being his best friend in a lot of ways and then to being his promoter and how complicated that is. And when doing the interview with Brett, I just not being, I didn't really know a lot about this story going into it, but interviewing him um, at the end of that interview, I was just like, wow, this is another layer onto the story, which to me makes it really special is that you have that subplot of their friendship and how co complex it is and the difficult decisions that Brett's had to make. I mean, drawing that boundary with Nick when Nick breaks into his house and when he's away and, and, and Brett's got a, a newborn child and, you know, it's that kind of typical addict sort of behavior <clears throat> and, and he's got to draw that line and, you know, he's got to be the one to, you know, push him to turn himself in and and like you know that whole complex friendship i think is another sort of relatable element to the story and to me which just makes it like those are the things i'm interested in like i'm interested in 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 being able to tell those stories about people you know more way more than i am about like the time that you know dude won the belt you know and 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 that to me was where this story really was coming together and and brett was awesome i mean you know and um and yeah, just literally, like definitely one of my favorite interviews of that that, that uh, during that time of making the show. I mean, and I, I think I think without him, it just the story would be it would it, it would be yeah. it'd be more fluff, you know, than the not. It'd be a puff piece, you know, more so yeah. without like that relationship being on the screen. Let's talk about uh, another relationship that uh, well might be a little more difficult to talk about. Jim Cornette is a staple of dark side of the ring. He's all over every single episode. We just talked last week and I said, boy, he was made for this. Like if you're looking for a soundbite, you're looking for a television performer, you're looking for a controversial take or an eloquent response, look no further than Jim Cornette, mm. but he's not on this episode. And <laughs> as somebody who listens to his podcast, I know that, uh, I think he commonly refers to Nick Gage as the bank robber. Uh, yeah. wh wh why was, why was Jim Cornette out of this? Did you guys just know, uh, don't ask Jim, he's not doing it. Or did he not want to participate? Did he tell you that? Where was Jim? Oh, I mean, I've just, I think it goes without saying that, you know, he's not there for any of this. He's not part of the story. It just, you know, it would just be commentary of him, you know, burying all of it, which is not, you know, in the context of telling, you know, Nick's personal story just wouldn't really you know, it wouldn't have much relevance, um, you know, and I, I definitely remember like there was a time that I was going to have to tell Jim we're doing it, you know, just like, you know, just 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 for full disclosure, like, you know, we're doing this and and he's like, oh, the bank robber, you know, just like you said. And um, but, you know, I I I I did, you know, tell him the story because he didn't know he doesn't know anything about Nick's story. He, he right. just knew, you know, just the 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 headline of here's a guy robbed a bank and 
you know, and then he's always like, they let a felon in the ring? They let a felon, you know, and it's like, he just doesn't, you know, obviously understand it, and you know, but, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't seem like it would it would have been the right move, uh, and I, I don't think he would have wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. I I am I am disappointed that he said he was not going to watch it. I don't necessarily maybe I don't know if I believe he's not he's not going to watch it. But oh, he's not going to watch little, it. He's not going to. Okay, watch okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm definitely disappointed he's not going to watch it, even if he was going to tear it to shreds, you know, which is fine. But like you know, I I I I I would hope that at, at this point, at this juncture, that he would trust us enough. Yeah. To, you know, tell the human story for crying out loud. And I think that like gets into one thing that the reaction to this episode being not I was not expecting it to be as divisive as it has been in this community over the last couple of days. Um, but I think it goes to show it's like it, it to me, I, I it, it's like maybe we need to like, you know, like maybe I need to spread the word about documentaries a little bit and, and put out some documentary recommendations to some more wrestling fans because <laughs> documentaries aren't about. You know, I don't, you don't, you don't have like, we're not sycophantic filmmakers who go and make documentaries about just people we love. You know, that's not how it works. We're not in trying to indoctrinate you into the world of deathmatch wrestling. In fact, most of the deathmatch wrestling you see in this episode is undercut with extreme horror movie music because it's scary as hell and we're terrified of it. But I think for the most part, it's like you don't have to be a fan of the. I think that's part of the wrestling bubble thing. Like, you don't have to be a fan of the person that you're watching, you know, to, in order to understand that there's a story here that maybe we could relate to on some level, you know, or be just fascinated by, you know. And so that was kind of an eye opening to me. Like, there's an expectation somewhere down the line that, like, you know, we're just doing this as a fan service thing, which we're not, you know. So I don't know. I urge anybody who doesn't want to watch this because they're not a fan of it. <clears throat> Like, I don't think that's, you know, sure. Well, I get if you're squeamish, because I was, but... <laughs> you're preaching to the choir. Let me give you an example. I know. My, yeah, my wife, yeah. Megan, hates wrestling for, you know, obvious reasons. Yeah. She does not miss a dark side. She doesn't. Because this is not yeah. about wrestling. This is it's about not. the human <clears throat> element behind it. And there's all the stories behind it. And, you know, before we, we veer off into... I got three more questions I want to ask. And I know okay. one of them is going to be a big one. But... Oh boy. Uh, the thing I'm, I'm trying to drill down on is what is it that's so off putting specifically about deathmatch wrestling? And, and, and here's what I mean. Tables are widely accepted. Chairs are widely accepted. Ladders are widely accepted. They had ladder matches in smoky mountain. Ric Flair used thumbtacks. Uh, so cage matches are a part and, and cutting your forehead with a razor blade has yeah. been commonplace forever and ever. But if, if a piece of glass does it on your arm, well, now that's too far, but if we want to, you know, mangle our face, that's fine. But if we're going to scratch our arm, well, that's different. Barbed wire matches go back to Jim Crockett promotions and, and, and there were, there was dusty roads and Tully Blanchard in a barbed wire match. So what is it just fluorescent light tubes and panes of glass? Is that where we draw the line? Like everything else is fine, but these two things. That's too much. I, I have trouble wrapping my head around that. I think it's the tubes, dude. Yeah. Um, uh, no, but I also think that it's that's not glossy. It's not pretty. It's you know, it, and and it is a bunch of you know, it's it's a handful of people on a farmland. But, you know, but, it, it but, looks, okay. It's, so it's if a it's show in, thing, if it's, it's in an, if it's in an arena and there's pyro yeah. and a ramp, and yes. there's and there's a lighting rig, then it's fine. But if you strip those well, away, well, now not so much. 
Well, I don't. I don't think for for Jim or for anyone who's not into it that e- I, I think they wouldn't like it either. You know, uh, for the most part. But I. But I. But I do think it goes back to that question which we talked about a little earlier, which is the question of finance. And I think, yeah. like you know, like I, I'm sure those would make an argument that Mick, you know, was paid well for you know, the things he did uh, in King of the Ring, you know, or whatever. And that somehow justifies it. Well, you know? no, no. Uh, they're, they're, when, when for him, it's not, that's not what it's about. You know, it's not. If, if you know him, it's not. Well, you know, but, for but him, at the it same time, it's not a trade that anybody would take. They wouldn't say, I don't know what his payoff <clears throat> yeah. is. Let's just freestyle those 50 grand. Hey, we're going to uh, throw you off of some shit for 50 grand. Nobody's <laughs> signing up for that. Like there's no amount of money. That's my thing is it's like, where's the threshold? And because your yeah. money is different than someone. The whole concept is just weird to me that there's this gross indignation about, oh, this is dirty. Dude, this has existed since the beginning of wrestling. Like guys used to carry razors in their mouth and then yeah, pull it out and I, cut I, their I, face. And that's fine. But oh boy, he went through a table. Yeah. So did Harley race. He rolled around in thumbtack. So did Ric Flair. Yeah, what are we doing? Like, I I don't understand the the where is the line? And I, I'm with yeah. you. I think it might be light tubes, as silly as it sounds, and some of it may just be presentation. But you go back and you hear that famous Stone Cold story about, you know, well I worked seven shows for Jerry Jarrett and then he paid me two hundred and ten dollars. Well, pff, that's more hardcore than jumping off some shit. I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> yeah, drive no three thousand miles and get paid two hundred and ten dollars and. No, come no on, shit. man. That, 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 it's hard for me to understand why everyone is so, because this is such a polarizing topic, but it really is. It's yeah. none it's of more, our, and you know what? It's more disturbing to me that this is more polarizing than when we've cut or when we've, when we've examined stories about wrestlers who are, have potentially, you know, killed, murdered, people, you know, murdered. um, yeah. And, 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 but, but I think that is the, that's, that's just the wrestling fan. Uh, bubble that you know the show does is a part of you know of course and we love that um but i i think you know for 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 other viewers viewers who are not part of that and 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 their fandom isn't wrapped up in you know into this you know um i think you know when you separate that the story of nick and you know his longtime girlfriend we haven't talked about her either yet um, and all of that, you know, that's a compelling story, you know, and, and I don't mean just to change gears, but like, you know, I think at the end of the day, like, yeah, it is confusing and it makes no sense as to where we're drawing the line between certain yeah. things, especially yeah. in this crazy ass world. I find you know? it still like, even when we did the Bruiser Brody episode, it was so difficult for me to watch some of those Puerto Rico matches with yeah. the, oh. the butcher, you know, and like oh you God. see what they did to their bodies. Just look at their, their faces and their foreheads. Like Abdul, the butcher. Yeah. Like, like that, that skull, that head. And, and, you know? and, and, and people just say, oh, it was blood and guts, but it's not met with like this i would never abdullah was on every yeah. card around the world and so was bruiser brody and so i don't know but we'll, we'll table it let's do talk about yeah uh, it's Nima. a weird thing to take a stance on and it's yeah. like it reminds me yeah. of this like almost kind of like what you see in you know we've seen recently with movies it's like you know this fan gatekeeping where fans dictate what you know they define to be wrestling yeah. you know and then it's got to be that way or it's no way you know and like evan said like like evan said we're both not you know big deathmatch fans right. but the story is intriguing and you know and we've done this was our what like ninth, 18th 19th episode like i would like to think that if you were a fan of our show and you liked how we told these stories that you would 
you know, yeah. step out of your I comfort mean, zone for a moment just to watch how yeah. we handle this story, you know, even the, yeah. the weird example, but even the Herb Abrams story wasn't was about say. a wrestler. It's about yeah. a, like a wrestling manager who's got this cocaine fueled yeah. wrestling federation, you know? So, you know, people love that story when they gave it a chance, you know, it wasn't a wrestler that they grew up loving or a legend that, you know, is to, to be celebrated. You know, it's just an interest. It's an interesting character in this fascinating world, you know, who has a, you know, complex, uh, human story. And so, yeah. Um, you know, just give it a chance. Like it's, you know, no, it, there's not, I don't know. Like I get it. Like when I was younger, I would be, um, ignorant maybe to some other genres of film that people told me I should like, you know, watch, you know, I can get into. And I would be like, I'd be stubborn about the kind of movies that I liked. And, but then I opened up my, you know, my perspective a little bit and yeah, there's, yeah. I, I've taken it. You just don't have to be a fan. You just, you just don't okay. have to be a fan. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you just, you just don't have to be a fan. It's, 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 yeah. th- that, that's the thing. Like, like, you know, it, it, those things aren't mutually, you know, it's me, you know, like, it's like, I don't know. Yeah, there's there's so many great documentaries out there. I'm not trying to say that, you know, we're, a, you know, a part of that echelon by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, there's a great film about the 1965 genocide called The Act of Killing. Don't have to be a fan of the 1965 Indonesian genocide in order to watch it. It's a fascinating story. Let's, you don't have to have an action figure of the genocide. Go ahead. Well, we got to talk about Danzig. Uh, he, he's not in the episode. Oh, Zandig, Zandig. Yeah, we can yeah, talk so, about Danzig too. Yeah, yeah. Though. I love oh, Danzig. Mother, yeah. So Zandig, <laughs> um, what an interesting character he is. Sort of the godfather of CZW. You mentioned his big famous bump off the building with Joey Janela, oh. sort of put Joey on the map. But he's not in the episode, and that sort of was like, wait a minute. So I guess my question is, was he interviewed for this and just it wound up on the cutting room floor? When can we see the Zandig footage? The Zandig footage. <laughs> um, uh, all right. All right. So let's let's segue here into the making of this episode. So this was the first uh, episode we shot for season three. Nick Cage was the very first interview we did for, for season three. Um, and obviously there was a global crisis, you know, still ongoing. But, I mean, we were in the throes of it um, at this time. And so, you know, <clears throat> it was myself and our, you know, Canadian... Um, uh, compadres, you know, who are who are making, you know, who are traveling with me, and we're and I think we mentioned the last last time, last week's episode, we were all in an RV. You know, there was no plane travel. We're all driving around the country, and this was our first stop was to New Jersey, um, and there was a lot of anxiety, you know, between the between the three of us, especially from the point of view of the Canadians, <laughs> seeing how absolutely crazy things were down in the states at the time, <clears throat> leading up into the election and leading up into. You know, just just yeah, how the the uh, this country's response to the pandemic and everything. So there was a lot of anxieties, uh, I think, amongst all of us. And this, uh, and and I, we, were, we were we were learning as we were going too, in terms of all these all these procedures were new, all the COVID protocols were new. You know, um, you know, and 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 we just we just we knew we were mildly in harm's way, and we had to be as safe as possible. So we did the Gage interview, and, and that was fantastic. And then we did Brett's interview, and that was amazing. And then Zandig was next on the list. I did not uh, – I, I didn't really know who he was before this. You know, I knew that he was you know, a mentor uh, somewhat to Nick and that he was obviously you know, uh, was a promoter of CZW at one point. So flash forward to the – so so we're doing the interview. That day, um, 
I'm getting these frantic calls from the office back in Toronto because uh, they've been interacting with Zandig all day. And Zandig was just pontificating on the conspiracy theories of the, the pandemic, uh, not willing to wear a mask when he was supposed to wear a mask, you know, all that stuff, you know, just like, I'm not going to comply, you know, it's hampering my freedoms and, you know, and just like, oh, you know, and it was just like, we just, it was, it was worrisome to us because this was, we knew we were probably going to encounter this more than once on this show. And it's just like, obviously, we just want to be as safe as possible. And um, he wasn't willing to really do that or was very annoyed by that. So I was like, oh, boy. And so we were feeling really uneasy about it because we had heard all that. And it was kind of like, well, we just need like one reason to maybe not do this interview. <laughs> but we're going to do it. We're going to do it. You know, front lines, war correspondents here. Um, so we show up <laughs> at his house and we get to the house. And uh, I don't know, man. It was like... It was like uh, his house had like a custom skin, like a custom Trump skin, you know, like he had so many flags and paraphernalia and like kind of the scary militarized versions of it, like the big Trump tank with Trump standing on the tank. And, you know, and it was just like, well, he's he's all in, you know, he's all in. And it was like, you know, like it was a, you know, insurrectionist dream base, you know. And so anyway. We show up and I was just like, holy smokes, you know, um, okay, this is especially the Canadians, I think we're extra sweating because this is, you know, they're the, this is the embodiment of their worst fears, you know, I think in a lot of ways. And so we show up to uh, his house and um, I'm like, well, I'm going to go suss it out. So go in, uh, start walking up to the house and all of a sudden I, I, this, the vibe is very strange. I forgot to mention we were 10 minutes late, 10 minutes late. Uh, we took a wrong turn in the RV. And if you take a wrong turn in an RV, you're thanks you're a fine. minute. Yeah. Yeah. So we were and this fucking thing is huge. Um, <clears throat> so we're late. Show up to the house. All of a sudden, I start seeing crying children and outside running out of the house. <clears throat> and I'm like, uh, what's going on here? You know, and and obviously, no judgments probably some 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 hard stuff going on you know behind closed doors i don't know um and all of a sudden his partner i think his wife or someone comes out and looks me straight in the eyes and says uh he's real pissed and i'm like oh shit you know like this is gonna be this is gonna be crazy time so i get to the front of the house and there's a there's a sidewalk there and i'm staring at the house with the trump tank and uh my phone starts going off and it's back home at the base and they're they're calling me saying do not go in the house and it's kind of like that moment and i say in like that movie like uh when a stranger calls when they're like the killer he's in the house you know and i'm like looking at this and i'm like do not go in the house repeat do not he does not want you in the house turn around go away and then as soon as i'm like staring at his front door with the phone on like that he comes barreling out of the house like Chris Farley, man lived down by the river. Like he's coming out like this. You guys blew it. You guys blew it. And he's like, what do you think? I'm some guy from Jersey. Like I've been waiting all day, you know, and, and, and he was right up in our face, you know, spitting the whole thing. And this is where like COVID and we're like scared and, you know, and this whole thing. And, um, I, like I said, I just needed that one reason to be like, I'm not doing this, you know? And I'm drawing a line, and 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 uh, <laughs> and as soon as I saw that, and as soon as he came out and was yelling at us, I was just like, "Okay, see you later." 
You know, I was just like, we just turned around and drove off. And we're like, where should we go, guys? Uh, all right, I guess we got to go to Walmart to, you know, like fill up some, some supplies. And we just see Zandig take off in his car, drive off angrily somewhere. And then we're like, all right, I guess we'll go to Walmart. And of course, we go to Walmart and he's at fucking Walmart. So now we're at fucking Walmart with him. <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, God damn it. Like, we're, we're, like we're both like rage Walmart shopping, you know? Well, well, and so I'm curious, why did you need. I've never. Why, guys, we got kicked out. Let's go to the Walmart. What, what, <laughs> well, because we, we always we, got you always got to, first off, you got to see what figs are there. But second, you don't know, like, you know, we, we don't have a lot, of, not a lot of time to fill up on, you know, the shit you got to fill up on for, you know, cross-country trips. So we're like, well, I guess we're going to go and buy all the food and shit now because now we have some time. And, of course, he's there just like, fuck, shit, you know, you know, and pissed at us and the whole thing and the crisis and pandemic and but it was crazy and that was just like wow is this what we're in store for for season three um and and you know what i have to just say you know like i was just i know nick was disappointed i was disappointed because you know he's a big part in nick's story and um i think that he let nick down with that um and i i and and that that to me was just kind of like well in fairness and it was jason's fault you guys were 10 minutes late i mean it's (laughs) zandig he he didn't let anybody down you guys let nick down by not showing up on time so just take your yeah yeah evan called me like right after i think it was between your trip to the walmart and you (laughs) you know explained to me the situation and you know again it was like the world was a nightmare at that point so I don't know. To me, I when I heard that, I was like, "Yeah, just go, man." Like it sounds so. Yeah, it's not fun. worth it. It's like so I'm not. Yeah, it's just that's why. Like in this show, making this season, it was like we had to be like, you know, we had to make those choices because every time we did an interview, it was a risk, and every time we yeah. did that, you know, and you know, uh, we're not able to do Zoom interviews, you know, and so we have to go into those places, and and that was a big eye opening experience for all of us because we were just like, um, you know like yeah we we need to make safety boundaries too and it's not just about like you know getting the story you know or whatever it's also like hey you know we also have to like be safe Makes and me that was so- just the most unsafe thing i think that's happened in the entire freaking journey was this and and yeah it's too bad too bad makes me but happy you know what? that jason a canadian put the word the <laughs> in front of walmart like he's a real southerner because <laughs> down here in the south you say the walmart just to be funny or i do because People in my area refer to it as the Walmart. And uh, when Jason did it, I was like, boy, the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day. <laughs> uh, chat me up, Jason, about the fire match. I, I had seen most of these clips. I, I was a low key deathmatch fan back in the day until I saw it in person and then was like, oh no. People you got to are- tell us that story too, by the way. What What is this crazy like? You- <laughs> so, you know, I, yeah. I, I watched all the tournament of deaths, all the IWA and the CZW stuff back in the day. And, I was a tape trader. So when that was getting all the buzz, I'm like, well, let's see what it's about. And so slowly, but surely I started to learn about these big moments, like sexy Eddie squirting his own blood in his mouth. And it was just crazy oh. stuff. And, and, and it was a spectacle. Oh, I got to send you a clip anyway. No, no. um, I was at the uh, GCW event after Starcast in Chicago, not the first mm-hmm. one, but the, I guess Starcast three and, uh, a performer there named G raver got hurt really bad. Oh, and you he, were there for that. And, and he got cut really bad. And so I'm in the back drinking beers. It's the end of a long day. And I'm like, oh man, cause you know, I'm in hell at those conventions. So I'm like, oh, this is so cool to finally just get to hang out with my friends and drink some beer and feeling good. And all oh, of a God. sudden I see guys running around and I see my buddy, Mance Warner, like 
I think he has his thumb in the wound trying to get the guy outside. And I realize, wait a minute, this is like a really scary what's happening. And so it went from ha ha, you know, Jerry Lawler's a heel and this is great to, oh no, somebody's hurt for real. And instantly I was like, "Mm, I don't like the way this makes me feel. So I left donated to his GoFundMe and said, that might be it for me in live death match wrestling for a while. I can still watch it on TV, but I don't appreciate it the same way I used to because it got real for a minute. And so while it's just Mm, these fantasy larger than life characters, it's one thing, but in the context of, wait a minute, are they doing this because I bought a ticket? Cause I don't want to be the guy who's, and that being said, I love GCW. I am a card carrying member of MDK. I have a metal card that says I am gang affiliated with Nick Gage's thing. I love <laughs> everything they do. But right. in that moment, when it got real yeah. scary, I was like, yeah, I don't like this. This is not for yeah. me. And, and not, not necessarily. I don't like what I'm seeing, but I don't like the way it made me feel because I didn't want I somebody else to, cause at that moment, people are concerned. Is this guy going to be, able, is he going to live? Is he going to be able to work a normal job? How will his life look like on the other side? Now, thankfully he's made a full recovery and he's fine. And I overreacted cause I'm a little bitch, but I was in the moment at that minute, five no, or six no. Miller lights. And I'm like, he's hurt for real. This is not cool. Yeah. I don't want anyone to be yeah. hurt for real. So even a few weeks ago when Chris Jericho took the big bump off the cage and everybody shit on it, I'm thinking, well, why are we doing it? If we're taking these big risks and these big stunts, like and we're just going to shit on it. Let's just stop doing it. Doesn't make it. any sense. Yeah. So don't yeah. let's not risk anybody getting hurt for real, and and let's just be entertained and 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 tell a good story and move on. And there's plenty of FMW y'all haven't watched yet. So just watch that, <laughs> <clears throat> and you'll be good. But the fire you know, match, um, I had never yeah. seen that clip with a dude running around for real on fire. And I love the line about stop, drop, and roll. So ch- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> chat me up on this, Jason. Yeah, well, oh man, like there it, at one point that was a longer section in the in the piece. Um because like yeah, like right, you know, when that happened, he you know, got terrible burns to the point when he went home like after the match, he went home, which is crazy, and he was sitting on his couch and I think it was like one of those like pleather coaches and mm. when um he it was, was days like, though. He didn't do anything for days. He was yeah, just for there, right? he was just sitting there on the couch. And then he got like he got to get up and his like skin like stuck to the couch and like peeled oh. off like onto the couch. Um and his girlfriend Sandra, who you know was great in the episode, uh, she was there for that. And I like how she talks about how like I can't imagine being the partner of somebody doing this kind of stuff, but how she would never like, you know throw herself into it to see how Nick is doing or ask, like, are you okay? You know, she's just, she, she's, she didn't want to break to, kayfabe. She, yeah, yeah. You know, but yeah. that moment was the moment in which she like, she was really scared, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. uh, and, and thought he could be more, you know, more hurt. And then, so yeah, she had to like take care of him at home, but, oh yeah, we filmed a, like, we filmed the whole reenactment and everything of his, like, you know, his skin coming off his his back, but it just, uh, <laughs> it, it, it was already enough. It felt like in the episode and I had to get to other things. Yeah. We just wanted to get into the, to the story, you know, yeah. um, and you have to kind of pick and choose your, but I think, you know, Nick has so many of those worst war stories, you know, from, from being, I mean, he died in the ring. Yeah. Um, and that, that's another thing. It's like, you know, th- this is a, this is like a, a, this is a wild story. This is a guy who died in a match came back to life you know and then that's just like you know that's just like 
act one, you know, of this story. And then there's so much more. So that to me, again, just another like, wow, what a what a what a what a wild story. And uh, yeah, and shout out to, you know, to, to Sandra, too. I mean, I think she was such a vital part of this story. Yep. And, and I think grounds it in a way that without it's again it's like that's the secret sauce with dark side of the ring in a lot of ways is getting those family members who have such a different perspective or who can tell the you know a real story and they're not working yet you know and i think i think that was awesome too to have her there you know yeah. even as someone who's cheered him on in the front row and and i and i you know you can see her in the matches you know being kill him fucking kill him you know which is great um but you know also She's there through everything because they they met you know way early on. I think before he actually became a wrestler, she was with him you know and, and would go over to the Wilson brothers' house and you know they'd be you know slamming each other on the couches and watching wrestling and all the pay per views you know um, you know every weekend and and that whole thing. But I think she takes all of this wild and crazy world and everything that's so out there and insane and kind of brings it down to the ground level, which I think for us is. Um, you know, and and just being able to cut back and forth between them into the whole saga of them being yeah. like kind of on the run after he robbed the bank and spending all the money. In how, how fun was that to shoot? I mean, I feel like that scene of them. I think Nick called it balling out. Uh, that yeah. was <laughs> that way. That had to be fun. It was like the Herb Abrams episode again, right? Yeah, no, definitely, it was fun. Um, it's like it's just fun to see like Nick Gage, you know, his character like in that kind of environment, and you know to see like her uh his girlfriend you know being part of that story um is yeah it's just it's, it's fascinating it's almost like this um i don't know like it's a, a love Bonnie story and clyde sort of thing yeah yes yeah. bonnie you know? and clyde great descriptor <laughs> and 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 yeah go ahead sorry i just oh. i, 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 oh, lo- no, I love the show ahead. i love the story and I, and I love the idea of how surreal it is. And I realize we're minimizing a crime here and Lord knows I don't mean to, but can you imagine for a minute when we were little kids, if we're watching the news with our parents and they're saying, Arn Anderson robs a bank. Yeah. I was going to say barbarian, (laughs) you know, I'd be like, daddy, that's barbarian. You know, like what, can you imagine, you know, the, how surreal that must feel. And I don't know if you guys have seen, but just a few uh, weeks or months ago, whatever it is, uh, Nick's like chief rival in game changer wrestling is a wrestler named Ricky Shane page. And he sort of reenacted the whole robbery, uh, and, and not in oh. a bank, but in a grocery store. And I mean, down to the fact, or it was a convenience store down to the fact that this rival carried a gun into the uh, gas station. He's wearing a blue hoodie identical to the one Nick wore. And he's like, is this what it felt like? You know? And it was just, you took something that was real and turned it into story. And it's, uh, it's interesting because the guy behind the guy, like we know the reason he, he, he robbed that bank is because of his addiction. I was going to say, and, yeah. and that's really the, the whole story to me of this episode with dark side is yeah, he did these crazy stunts because he loved wrestling and, and he wanted to sort of be a star. And this, this felt like, Hey, this is a community and this is a family and it was a support that he was looking for and he needed in his life, but in an effort to continue doing it, he needed some other support in the form of prescription painkillers that he didn't have a prescription for. And it took him so far that he robbed a bank and, and to to Moxley's point, his whole gimmick is I cover my face, but when I rob a bank, I don't cover my, because he's just not 
well, that's a character, you know, putting on a performance and, and I am so far consumed by my addiction. I have to do this. And in a weird way, this to me, and I realize this is silly and I'm rambling, but it's almost like he goes to prison and, and he sort of comes out of the other side clean. His addiction is no longer taken over his life like that. It's almost a weird way that, Hey, maybe sometimes the system actually works because this is a success story. You know, recidivism is a thing with, with, with prisoners and they, and they go back and they do the same thing, blah, blah, blah. Right. He comes out of this thing, uh, clean and sober and a much bigger star than when he went in. It is a success story, even if it doesn't feel like it. Well, he does. Well, he did go back, you know, when he, when he, when he first came out, he went back a short time after, but cu- couple of things there is, you know, I think one of the things that was important to us and one thing that came clear out of the interview was the act of desperation. You know, this is an act of desperation yeah. to do what he did. And I think it had he been firing on all cylinders, you know, and really, I, I don't think, you know, he wanted to cause mayhem by, you know, robbing a bank. He didn't have a gun. If he had a gun, he would have been, he probably would, he would definitely still, still be in jail. Yeah, he would still be in jail today. So, you know, it was an act of desperation, you know, in, in terms of his addictions and feeding that and being a part of that. You know, is it the right thing to do? No, obviously not. But, you know, uh, I think for him in that time, it's like, you know, you can pick apart all those things of like, well, if he's going to rob a bank, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, no, it's like, obviously, what was be clear to me was, you know, at that situation and where he was and what Brett was describing, you know, and heroin being a part of this and, and, and spiraling, you know, and in terms of dead, nowhere to stay, winter, what are you going to do? And in that moment, you know, he made that choice, yeah. which obviously would forever alter his life. Um, but I think one thing that was important to me, it's like, I don't know if it does work, you know, because it's like he goes, he goes away, he comes back, and it's not like when you're clean and sober, you're just clean and sober now, right. and everything's great. You know, yeah. you have to fight that battle every single day. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think you can you can sense some worry in Brett, you know, in that interview when we ask him about, do you think this is, you know, is, is this a redemptive story? And it's still, I think you can sense that hesitation because, you know, if somebody is an addict, especially on that level, and, you know, this is something for me, like I said, like I haven't experienced myself, but I've, I'm trying to learn and understand more and, and see that it, it's not just a thing that you can... Oh, I'm sober now and everything's great. No, every day it's a fight for the rest of your life. And yeah. that's, that, that's, that's the cruel reality of that situation. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and I, and I think that is, like I said earlier, just one of the more relatable human universal aspects of this story, much more so than like, you know, light tubes, you know, whatever. It, it, th- it's that, you know, which is something I think everybody, we all know someone in our life that that is... Uh, that you know that addiction has affected and yeah. and that was i think that's just to me is one of the more raw real parts of the story is that it's not that simple you know for him um but also one of the dark parts of it too and the honest parts of it very well said i don't know what i expected but uh i loved it i was a, i was a fan of nick gage going in and i was familiar with his story and it's funny i i got <clears> to spend <throat> some time with jeff jarrett this week and I uh, said, Hey man, uh, you got to watch dark side on Nick gauge. And he sort of tilted his head and he said, now Nick gauge, where did he wrestle? And I said, well, because Memphis. he, he, yeah, right. He's thinking, was that, was that a territory guy? And, 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 and I, I sort of had to give like the elevator speech on Nick gauge. And I said, well, he was a hardcore deathmatch wrestler who got addicted to pain pills and robbed a bank. Uh, but then he came out became a bigger star and stabbed David Arquette in the neck. But outside of that, he's a great guy. 
And, <laughs> and, and everybody laughed. And it's like, because I really mean every, everything I said was factual, but I've had the pleasure of meeting him and, and some folks in his circle. And he is a great guy. And I think a lot of him and, and I hope to see him again soon. And I'm going to see him this weekend. GCW has got a big event. You can watch it on fight and probably a few other places, but, uh, I like what they're doing and I love his character and I'm, I'm excited to see the second half of his story because to your point, Evan, this is a contemporary subject, you know, the, the, it's not over for him. You know, unfortunately, a lot of the stories you guys tell are with people who are no longer with us, or at least no longer an active right. ring competitor. He's working right. this weekend. So check him out and uh, be yeah. sure to check out next week. Am I right? Is next week collision in Korea? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. It is. <clears throat> yep. From we're going from Nick Gage to North Korea, guys. So um, <laughs> we're shifting uh, gears. Jason, what should we expect <laughs> on uh, Collision in Korea? Um, I think it's 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 a you know it's really fascinating um, you know to see a bunch of tough wrestlers, guys. You know, I I really uh, I, I grew up loving and you know even being afraid of, um, <laughs> and to see them being put in a vulnerable position where they're afraid for their lives. And, you know, this trip of WCW uh, going with uh, Anoki and, and his crew to North Korea to perform uh, in front of the biggest crowd there ever has been for a wrestling event. Um, and them, it, it, it's like a, it's like a culture, culture shock, shock sort of thing where, you know, the wrestlers were, are used to a certain way of life. They probably, this is before the age of the internet. So they probably had no idea what, you know, what life was like in North Korea. And so when they get there, it, um, things, you know, turn pretty quickly. And like I said, you see these guys become vulnerable so fast and start to turn against each other. And I think it was Scott Norton who said that, you know, for him, the experience felt like it was being in a twilight zone episode. And so you'll see, you know, that is what we really leaned into for this episode. And it feels mm-hmm. kind of like it's our dark side of the ring, twilight zone episode. Like even mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the music is inspired by music from twilight zone and like mm-hmm. just the whole vibe of it, the way we shot the reenactments. It's a, uh, it feels like know, a dream. It's, a it's, it's like a wrestle. It's like a wrestle dream, you know, because the whole thing feels like it never like, how did this happen? Right. You know, it's so crazy. We're in North Korea and we're like wrestling each other. You know, it's so weird. And and that to us is like we just wanted to really lean into the fact that this like it's like, whoa, we like we all like through the looking glass and, you know, through the other side. And then we woke up and it's like, oh, is this a, did that really happen? You know, and so we kind of leaned into this real nature of the episode. And um, yeah, it's got some amazing one liners. Scott Norton's an all star. You're going to love him. Oh, yeah. And uh, I love Cold Scorpio, of I, course. I love Too Cold. Yeah. You got Eric Bischoff in there, Sonny Ono in there. And do you want to tease? You have a real. I mean, wrestling royalty is in this. Wrestling royalty is here. Yeah, we got John Zandig for the North Korea episode. <laughs> <laughs> he was there, going nuts. No, uh, <clears throat> no, we got <laughs> we got Antonio Noki uh, wow. uh, for the episode, which was just me as a fan. I mean, God, that's was such a high point, you know, for me as a fan. Um, to uh, it was such a surreal experience interviewing him because obviously I had to, I had to do that remotely. We had a crew there in Japan that was filming it, and I was there like you know on Zoom, you know, doing it, and. Um, yeah, just a wild, wild experience to be talking to Anoki for an hour and a half, you know, about this wild, wild trip that he put together. Um, so yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, and that, yeah, so Collision in Korea. That, that's it, man. I mean, that's the closer. Think about that: Two Cold Scorpio, Sonny Ono, Scott Norton, on and on. 
but then from Eric Bischoff to Antonio Anoki, my goodness, dark side has Anoki. Are you kidding? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. I wouldn't have guessed it in the beginning. That's for sure. Um, real quick before we get out of here, uh-oh. uh, uh-oh. no, no, be- before that thing, I just want to shout out a few members of our crew yes. mm-hmm. on, on this Nick age episode in particular, because, um, they knocked it out of the park. Um, First, I just want to, uh, I, I definitely want to just shout out uh, um, Andy Appel and Dan Tamizian, who are a road crew with me in the RV and at the front lines, Zandig, on Zandig's front lawn. You know, those guys, those guys drove up and down this country and doing this. And this was the first one we did together. And it was a wild experience. And I know that this episode means a lot to them, too, because this was all new to them. And they, you know, uh, and, and I know it's one of their favorite episodes as well. But they just, you know, they killed it. They did an amazing job. Want to shout out them. Jason, you got to shout out the the post crew on this one. Yeah, Steve Taylor, who was the editor of the episode. He absolutely killed it. Um he's been yeah an absolute blessing to have on this season um he did this episode and he's uh he's got the ultimate warrior episode coming up as well too uh don cook our story editor on the episode he's been amazing he like absolutely immersed himself into this world and i think i saw him just like write like mdk all day every single day (laughs) on our slack like he's just yeah yeah, he's definitely he, gang affiliated. He, he is, yeah. He became obsessed with it, which was great. That's like you know all what we. It's it, it's more than we can ask for from any of our teammates is to become obsessed with the material as much as we do. And so, yeah, thanks thanks to those guys big time for. Yeah, and Steve and Don actually look like Nick Gage too. So it's even <laughs> it's it's great. You know, uh, <laughs> we're only going to get people that look like the people on our shows from now on. To work on um. And then real quick, uh, last last week we talked about um, oh Conrad, it's back. Oh God, um, talked about Stone Cold Metal. Uh, I went on eBay and I bought World of Wrestling Rocks. Conrad, did you have this? Nope, I didn't. <laughs> That's a new one. This is a CD. Just just so you understand, uh, this is the beginning of my wrestling journey, everyone, because my professional career in wrestling started here. This CD, if you remember it, is. This is total bootleg shit. This is literally uh, uh, a guy with a drum machine and a guitar uh, doing Stone Cold Steve Austin's theme song, Undertaker, Kane, uh, New Age Outlaws. This is 1998. Well, little known fact, it's Matt Coon who did the CD. (laughs) Not really, not really, not really. It could have been. It could have been. Um, That's amazing. Uh, But anyway... The genesis of this CD is my dad actually worked for the company that released this CD. And as a 11-year-old, 10-year-old wrestling fan, I was like, Dad, wrestling is really awesome. You got to do something with wrestling. So my dad, shout out to my dad, actually made this happen. (laughs) So this is produced by my father. And in, in the track listing here, you can see that the track one is entering the ring and track six is the clothesline. It's actually my dad doing wrestling commentary as interstitial tracks uh, on this. So as you're listening to uh, a, a a low budget version of "Freak on a Leash" by Corn, which oh, is also God. on here, Terrible. it's gonna it, it, it cuts to my dad as a wrestling commentator going, "Oh, the clothesline!" and "Oh my God!" Um, so we're 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 cracking this open right now because hold on. Hold on. Are you watching this? I'm ready. Oh, my God. You can. 
get your pro wrestling magazine subscription too. Oh, I like here. it. Um, but in the credits, it says album direction, Evan Husney. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag humble so, brag. Yep. Here it is, guys. This is where it all started. Get your copies here. I'm selling them, autographing them. World of Wrestling Rocks, 1998. <laughs> CD can be yours. Goes real nice with the Stone Cold Metal. Are you doing a QVC spot right now? Is that the yeah. <laughs> What's the flex pay started. on this? Yeah. Can we have my dad play us out? Well, why, don't we, we? why don't we first tell everybody how we can continue the conversation, give everybody the social <laughs> handles so we can talk about Nick Gage a little more. And of course, we want to make sure that they can live tweet next week when you guys are talking to Anoki. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. What are the handles, Jason? We've got on Twitter, it's dark side of ring, right? Uh, on Instagram, right. Dark Side of the Ring, uh, Evan Husney and Jason Eiser for Instagram. Uh, last night was awesome watching like all the fan <laughs> reactions. It was probably you know that in the in the New Jack episode probably top and you know in terms of the fan reaction and just seeing how people were reacting to it online. You know we're watching that stuff and it's yeah it was amazing to watch the 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 reaction last night that was uh people seem to love it and you know we really appreciate hearing what you guys think of it so yeah yeah in case if you didn't catch that just because you, you glitched out a little bit there bud um but uh at evan husney at jason eisner on social media and yeah uh i can't wait to see what you guys think in north korea it's a pretty wild story um and yeah well, we'll be back here to talk about it uh right i think so yeah we will so. be back here and the one after that is uh Gonna get everybody talking, but yeah, go buy this stupid CD world of wrestling rocks. <laughs> Evan Husney's first bootleg adventure into wrestling. Uh, My dad's first bootleg adventure into wrestling. I, I, I had fun with you guys today. I really appreciate you humoring me. I don't know that we uh, really accomplished everything we probably should have, but I felt like some of this conversation oh. about dark side, uh, and, and, and deathmatch wrestling needed to happen. I don't really understand. You know, it might not be for you, but there's a whole lot of wrestling that I've decided isn't for me. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you're a bad person if you watch it. So watch what you want and, and quit worrying about, you know, what everybody online thinks it consume what you enjoy. And if it's for you, then, uh, you know, that's all that matters. And we hope that dark side of the ring is for you. It's tune in this Thursday night on vice, and then be sure to catch us back here next Friday. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you do not have to be a fan of North Korea to watch uh, the episode next week. So very well just letting said. everybody know that. Very well said. <clears throat> uh, but it is a story <laughs> that you have to see to believe. And I got to tell you, even though I knew it was coming, I was still shocked when Antonio Inoki was on the episode. You sent me that screen grab or that, that photo of him like on the camera months ago. And I thought, mm -hmm. I can't believe this is real. And I kind of yeah. forgot it was there. So when we, when, when I actually see the footage again, I'm like, oh. <gasps> Like that's a big deal, guys. It's a big deal. It is a it huge really is. deal. It's not just from a wrestling standpoint, but a political standpoint. And you can watch it this Thursday on Vice and tune in the next day and get the story behind the story here on Dark Side of the Podcast. See you next week. Oh, the DDT that's gotta hurt. Hey, just wanted to give you a heads up. You're wasting money on your single biggest expense, and you might not even realize it. Just ask Brandon in Texas. Save with Conrad.com. Just hooked him up. He left us a five-star review, and here's what he had to say. 
This whole refinance process has been super easy. It's been entirely stress-free. I had a good interest rate beforehand and no real need to refinance, but I finally looked into it after hearing Conrad's ads. Turns out they were able to cut five years of payments, saving me about $50,000. Man, Brandon saved 50 grand and he thought he had a great deal. How much can you save? Find out right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket, and we're licensed in more than 40 states, so we can help more families than ever before at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? At SaveWithConrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.